0: Good morning, I'm Troy and I'm an addict. Good morning, everybody. So it's our last day with the ladies. The last day with the ladies. We're both sad and happy about it. So what I'm going to ask of you guys today, uh, some of you have heard me do this before, some of you have not. Um, I'm sure all of you have heard somebody say, in some point in your life, think before you speak. We've all heard that before, right? Does anybody know what that means when somebody says that? Think slow and respond quickly. That's, that's good. That's not where I'm going, but I do like that you paid attention yesterday. Um, so THINK is an acronym uh, for something. Some of you have seen me do this before. Some of you have not. THINK is an acronym. If you would like to write this down, you can, but you don't have to. But I do want you to remember it. THINK before you speak. So when you're going to say something to somebody, this follows into we do the be grateful, be kind, be loved where there's not every day. This falls into be kind. When you speak to somebody, no matter what it is, no matter what you're trying to communicate with them, I want you to think, think before you speak. Everything you say ever should follow all five of these rules. It should be true. It should be helpful. It should be informative. It should be necessary. And it should be kind. All right. So what that looks like is this. If I would like to speak to this gentleman here today, and I said something like, man, you were slaying them them push-ups out there. Like, you don't... You don't mess around. That's what you do, man. You sure do stink when you're done, though. So, true? Helpful? Well, it might give him a little heads up that he might stink a little bit. That's helpful. Informative? Yeah, it's positive. True information. Necessary? Mm. Is it necessary for me to tell him that in a public setting? No. Is it kind for me to tell him that in a public setting? Not even a little bit. But, God, man, you're an inspiration to me. Even though you're a little funky, you, you go out there and you do it every break. Every break, you knock out on a hundred push-ups. Yes. Everything I just said to him was true, helpful. It inspired him. Informative. You can, if you don't like inf- informative, that just means that you're telling them something that they, that they need to hear. The other word that you can slide in that spot is inspirational. I don't choose to use that word because not all of us are at, a, are at a point yet where we can speak with inspirational words. Some of us are at a point where all we can do is come up with the truth and lies and that's it. We've been manipulating a long time. I don't I don't know about y'all, but in my act of addiction, I became a master manipulator. Um, I could get anything I wanted, any way I wanted from anybody I wanted it from and if they didn't like the way I approached it, I'd just fucking take it. Um, I don't live that way anymore. And I can promise you guys, I'm sure every one of you in this room has had an occasion to speak to me in some capacity. And if you haven't, I welcome you too. Please come talk to me, I love talking to people. I love, I love helping people, it's what I do. But every single thing that comes out of my mouth, I am positive that I have reviewed what I'm about to say and it's gonna fall into all five of those categories. Because me not treating you with honesty and compassion, and necessary information is not being kind to you. I can lie to you all day long and say you look great if you don't, and and I'm not helping anybody. Anybody here ever had me stop them in the hall and tell them to go look in a mirror? Okay, the reason I do that is because I see a change and we're not used to looking at mirrors that are on the vertical surfaces. We're used to looking at mirrors that are on horizontal surfaces. And we look very different in those mirrors, don't we? We look very different in those mirrors. Our faces hang. Our faces hang and they look like shit and there's always something in our hand. When you're looking at a mirror that's vertical on the wall, you're looking at the exact opposite of yourself. You're looking at a mirror image of yourself. So when you're speaking to somebody else, remember that they're also looking at a mirror in essence when they're looking at you. They're looking for how to react to what you have to say. They're looking for how to react to your body language. Um, I've done this with you more than once. If I approach you with my shoulders up and my arms out, if I'm building lats while I'm talking to you, we're already confrontational. I don't have to say a single mean word to you. But if I approach you with my fucking lats flexed and my arms out, it's intimidating no matter who, how big, little, young or old you are. That's an intimidating approach. So remember, your actions and your words need to be welcoming to people. They need to open hands. Open hands works really well when you're talking, open your hands up. People can see the palm of your hands. Back in the days of the Romans, the whole reason that they have a handshake, the whole reason we have that handshake is because Roman soldiers carried their sword on their right side, and they would expose their right hand empty to you to show that they were not armed. They were there in a welcoming capacity. They wanted to be kind to you. So when you're talking to somebody and you're trying to give information, And this is a situation that we run into here often a lot of times and you know luckily right this second we don't have anybody who falls into this category but we have in the past where we've had somebody come into this program welcome to the community two days later three days later four days later they still ain't had a shower five days later they still ain't had a shower now i've heard a million ways to approach that i've heard people come to the tech desk and say this person really needs to shower. It's unpleasant to be around them. I've also heard, go take a shower, man. You fucking stink. Like, that that ain't helpful. It don't help nobody. It makes them feel embarrassed. I actually can assure you that I know one time we had an AMA five seconds behind that remark. We had somebody embarrassed about their san- their, their hygiene, so much so that they left the program. We may have put that guy out there to die. We don't want to do that. That's not how we treat each other. When we were out there using, we had a level of honor among thieves, didn't we? We took care of each other. We hooked each other up when we were in need. We gave two for ones when we couldn't afford it. That same kindness, as dirty as that kindness was, that same kindness in here can can keep people alive. It can change the way they view every single moment of their day. Yesterday, that we watched The Secret, and uh, the most important thing I hope you took out of that is if you feel good and you speak positively, you will affect the people around you in a positive way. They'll be happier. They'll be easier to get along with. At no point has anybody ever walked up to me, asked me a question, and I've meanly said no and walked away. I've jokingly said no about 88% of the time because I use Ian, and we'll talk about that another time. But... Uh, it's, it's important that you are approachable. By making the words you say fall into that category, true, helpful, informative, necessary and kind, if you make sure that what's coming out of your mouth falls into play, people will continue to communicate with you. They'll want to hear what you have to say. They'll want to know your input because, because you make them feel better about themselves. Um, I can walk around here all day call you guys junkies, crackheads, use words like that, that's not going to help any of you. It puts a label on you, puts a label on me. I like to call myself an addict because I'm an addict, period. It doesn't matter what I fall in love with. If I fall in love with it, I want to do it two times, three times, four times, a day, a minute. So find the thing that you're addicted to that's positive. Find the thing that you're addicted to that falls into that. Um, I I often talk about my mom. My mom's addicted to, you know, religion and weight loss. I mean, holy crap, man. What a safe addict she must be, you know. Um, I'm addicted to helping people. It it makes me feel great. Some of you guys know my story. Some of you don't. But I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this much of it so you understand why I stand here right now. I've been a a performance painter since 2014. Um, I, I worked retail at Home Depot for... A long time after divorce, because I had to do something to make money. I had three children that I had to tend to, and and I had to, I had to have insurance. I had to have vacation time. So I chose a retail job. I hated it. I hated it. It was the worst thing I've ever done for myself physically. I put myself into a bad spot as far as my health. I put myself into a bad spot as far as my mental health. Even more importantly, my mental health, because I was a, I was a senior manager, uh, divisionally. I, I had, um, the, the crew I worked on was a merchandising team. Um, I had 13 employees, seven stores. Those numbers varied you know, up and down all the time based on staffing. Um, I hated that job, I hated it. I did it for the money, not because I was feeling anything good about myself. And I said, I don't wanna do this anymore. This is for you. So after I watched the movie, The Secret, I started imagining myself doing exactly what I always wanted to do. And what I always wanted to do was be a performer. I played in bands my entire youth. From the time I was 16 years old up, I, I played in different bands. Um, we were, some of some of us were very successful. I played uh, the Ocean City Circuit. We used to play BJ's. We used to play Talbot Street Cafe. We used to play, shit, I played Secrets. Um, and, and, you know, that was, amazing for me it brought me self-esteem it brought me confidence got me laid a lot um but those things those things were positive for me so i remembered i was in therapy at the time that i left home depot and my therapist said to me when were you the happiest in your whole life and it took me less than a millisecond to answer that question i said when i was on tour with the grateful dead she said i toured from 85 to 87 by the by Um, She said, why? I said, because I didn't fucking have anything. And it hit me. Holy hell. I didn't have anything. I didn't own anything. I didn't want anything. I just lived. I went out and lived and enjoyed myself and enjoyed my life. So she said, well, get yourself back into that mindset. And I said, I'm, you know, 50 year old man or however the hell old I was at the time. I said, I'm, you know, 40, 40 year old man. I can't just run out there and go on tour again. That's not going to work. And she said, why not? And I didn't have an answer. I did not have an answer. So I said, screw it. I'm going to go home and make a bunch of tie dyes and buy tickets to the next show I see. So I did. I went home and I made a bunch of tie dyes. Now, when I was touring 85 through 87, I made tie dyes in hotel bathtubs and I stay in the bathtubs all up and down the West Coast. And I'm very proud of that. Um, I left green rings all over. And you imagine you walk in the hotel bathroom, you're a housekeeper, and there's fucking green and purple rings in the bathtub. What the hell went on in here? You know. Um, so, so I, I put myself in the mindset, and I went home and I made tie-dyes in my own bathtub in, in my house because I remember how good it made me feel. Um, and then I, I boxed them all up, put hangers on everything. I drove my Land Cruiser up to a Dark Star Orchestra show. I hung shirts on the outside of my vehicle and I stood there and I slung shirts like I did 20 years ago and I felt amazing. I tell you that because I learned that the thing you want the most, just tell yourself you're doing it. Just tell yourself you're already doing it. So I said, this is what I do now. And then I clocked in on Monday evening for my next shift and I walked around in misery and I was like, this is not what I want to do. This sucks! I hate this. I hate these people. There's people in here trying to fix shit that have no business with a hammer in their hand. You know, I, uh, my favorite question is when somebody goes into a plumbing aisle and they start asking questions, and I can hear that they don't even know the difference between CPVC and PVC. They should not be plumbing their house. So, is there any suggestion you have for me? Yeah, get a plumber. Like that—that that would be my answer. And I realized I had become very cynical and contemptuous. Everybody knows what the word contemptuous means. Okay, contemptuous means fuck it. Contemptuous means I've reached the point where I'm full of fuck I don't have nothing to do with you, no more, nothing you do makes me happy. So I had reached that point and I was in my head about changing what I did for a living and I decided that I was an artist again. I made that decision. And I realized I don't wanna play music in front of people because I don't like looking out at the crowd. That's not my thing. I like being up there, but I don't necessarily like looking at everybody. Well, as a live painter, this is what I had to see. Y'all see my back and I see what I'm doing. And I love that. So I said, that's what I'm doing now. I'm a live painter. And every show I would go to, I would set up close to the stage and I'd paint, whether they invited me to or not, whether they wanted me to or not. I just did it. And then bands started buying the paintings that I was making. Members of the bands would watch me paint while they were playing and they'd come over to see what I was doing and then when I was done they'd buy my paintings wet and take them back to their tour buses and I'm like shit like I'm putting art in musicians homes now and then I started getting invitations to perform and then I started getting invitations from band members to perform and one time I, uh, I had signed up a vending application for a, a festival called Dome Fest um, Pigeons Playing Ping Pong is the band that throws that and I set up my vendor application. I've been dealing with the vendor coordinator back and forth for days. And I said, hey, I said, you know, is there any shot you can get me on stage to paint with these guys? And the guy I had been communicating with said, I'll talk to the boys and we'll see what happens. Never heard anything back. I showed up to vend at the beginning of the festival. I showed up on a Thursday morning to set up. I start setting up. This guy came over and introduced himself as the vending coordinator. He said his name was Greg. I shook his hand. He said, you're the painter guy, right? I said, yeah. And he said, uh, we talked to the guys. He said, we're, we're, we're into having you set up on the side stage. And I thought, we? Why are you saying we? And I realized I was literally talking to the lead guitar player for the band. That's who I've been dealing with for a month now. And he's already researched me. He's already Now I go back and I realize he's some of the likes and comments on some of my paintings. So jokingly... I said, well, when you meet one of the guys in the band, let him know I'm gonna do it. And he was like, I'll take care of that for you. And he wasn't owning who he was, but I figured it out. Anyway, so I get up on stage to paint with these guys. I turn around and the vending coordinator is standing beside me with a guitar in his hand. And I'm like, hell yeah, I knew it, I knew it. So I got to paint that show. It happened to be the lead guitar player's birthday. So I painted a birthday cake in the painting. The three other guys in the band made sure that painting was purchased and given as a gift. And I realized I I did it. I did it. I'm actually painting for money. My dad said, now, cause I tied on my canvases first. So my dad one day we're sitting there talking and I, I was explaining to him what I do for a living now. And it took him a little bit, you know, that generation doesn't understand exactly how to go to a festival and make money and not sell drugs. Um, So I was selling paintings and I was getting big money for these paintings. And my dad said, let me get this straight. You stain bed sheets and then draw on them with magic markers and finger paint and people buy them from you. Yep, that's exactly it, dad. And sure as hell, I had become a performance painter. I did that full time up until 2019, the end of 2019. I do 16 festivals a year. Um, I travel all over the nation in that beautiful van y'all saw outside. Um, Vanny DeVito, my baby. Um, he's, uh, he's treated me well, man. He does, he's never let me down, never. Um, but I had done it. I had done exactly what I wanted to do um, because I treated everybody kind. I was helpful when I spoke to people. When I showed up online, people knew I was drug free. They knew I was clean. So they would let me run workshops. And then in that process, I started to meet people that were struggling with addiction, people that were struggling with their mental health. And I'll tell you a quick: this is this was the story that this is the story that changed it all for me. Um, I was on stage painting with a band named Kung Fu, um, which we listened to outside. Hollywood Kisses is the name of the song we listened to. Um, I was painting with them, and while I'm standing stage side, it was a pretty large festival, and we had a regular rail around the stage. And there was a little mud pit over here to the left in front of the speaker. And uh, that mud pit was full of spun kids, little kids that were just spun cookies. And I'm looking in the pit and I'm wondering, man, that's, that's gonna get out of hand. That's too many high people in one spot. <laughs> um, so I'm painting and I'm watching out of the corner of my eye and I'm hearing lots of cheering and then it gets real loud. I turn around and there's this young girl, I'm gonna put her at 17 years old, laying in the mud, flopping around like a fish. And I'm like, holy hell, man, she is putting herself in a bad spot. And I'm still working, still doing my thing. And then I heard the sound change there. And I turned around and I looked and she was naked. Um, clearly had no idea what was going on. She was flopping around and I saw, please, nobody take offense to this, but I saw some predatory whooks walking up on her. And I thought it's not going to be long before somebody makes a bad decision. So I stopped painting. I walked over there and I said, you come here and she held her hand up and I pulled her up on stage and I wrapped the canvas around her and I walked her over one of the security guys and he took her backstage and they took her to the medical tent. I continued to do my job. I continued to paint. I finished my painting. The crowd went, you know, had their fun. We enjoyed the hell out of that show. The show ended. Everything shut down that night. The next morning I was standing in front of my booth smoking a cigarette. I was one of the first ones up because I don't do drugs. so I'm standing in front of my booth, kind of milling about and this girl comes walking towards me and she looks familiar, but I can't place her. And she walks up to me with her arms out and she hugged me. And I'm like, you know, my wife's in there. <laughs> um, and she said, uh, I want to thank you. I said, for what? She said, you saved my life. I said, what are you talking about? She said, somebody told me last night you pulled me out of the mud and then it hit me who she was. She said, somebody told me you pulled me out of the mud. And you put me into the hands of someone safe. And I want to thank you for that. And I said, you're welcome. It's what I do. I, I help people. I'm into it. And she said, no. She said, I want to talk to you about, I went out last night with the intent of dying. I wanted to die on the stage. So she had put herself into an overdose situation on purpose and had every intention of dying in front of that stage she obviously didn't want to, or she wouldn't have thanked me. Um, and I realized that day that I was in a spot in my life where I'm, I'm a suicide attempt survivor. For those of you who don't know, I tried and I like to say I succeeded because I'm still here. Um, but I knew that this person had some suicidal issues that they were working through. Um, and I talked to her for a while and it, and as she walked away, I said, Hey, be grateful kind. We love where there's none. And I have said that at the close of every single speech I've ever made since that day. Um, and the next day I started working on a nonprofit called hashtag shoulders, which is a suicide prevention through art, awareness, music, and love. Um, and we, you know, my thing was, I don't call cops. I don't call psych ward. I don't call fucking anybody. I call no officials. Let's round ourselves with people who have been through this pain and understand it and want to talk about it. So I started working in suicide prevention, doing workshops at festivals. I still painted every night. I still sold art online. I still sold t- t-shirts and pants and badass skirts. Like I, 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 st- I make the prettiest skirts. Um, sorry guys. The, uh, But we had a, a, a lot of activity that was continuing to encourage me to do what I was doing because I had decided beforehand that that's what I did. And every single puzzle piece fell into play and I started being led to being able to help people. And then I was given the opportunity to do motivational speeches in the mornings on Saturdays at music festivals for people that were struggling with their mental health and their drug use. And that's what I did. I was a performance painter who loved people enough to take time out of my money-making schedule to go help them. And then COVID hit and music festivals stopped and live performance bands stopped. And I started trying to become an online painter. I started trying to become an online artist, trying to sell I work from the vibe and the feeling in the rooms. The paintings I create happen because of the people that are around me, because of the music that's playing. I don't ever walk in with a canvas knowing I'm going to paint a giraffe. I walk in with a canvas and whatever happens, happens. Whatever I feel in the room is what I paint. I can't do that in my garage alone, it just doesn't get the same effect. So I started changing what I was doing a little bit and I made it okay for about six months. And then I realized that this wasn't gonna last forever and I got bills that are stacking up. I got credit card bills that are piling up because I'm using credit card to pay gas bill and et cetera, et cetera. And I said, I gotta do something with my life. So I started working in a restaurant. Anybody think that was a good idea? (laughs) Better yet, I started working in a distillery (laughs) because it was close to my house and they paid well. Does that sound like I settled? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what happened. They were great people, they're good people. Um, But it put me in a position where I was immersed in the toxic drug culture of kitchens. And if any, who's working in the kitchen? Y'all ever buy, sell, or use with any of your coworkers? Pretty much all the same hands just went up. I don't care if it's Cracker Barrel, (laughs) I don't care what restaurant, I don't care if it's, you know, Lim Fuck's up on the corner. Somebody in there is slinging and using. Somebody in there is drinking in their car during cigarette breaks. Somebody is. And I was surrounded with those people all of a sudden again. And I had, you know, I had 16, 17 years of clean time. So I wasn't necessarily intimidated in the situation. But if you stand in the pool long enough, your bathing suit's going to get wet. (laughs) Um, And I said, I can't do this. This is going to go south for me. Um, So I opened up the... Facebook one day and while I was scrolling, I was actually looking for propane tanks at the time, which I think is funny. Um, I was looking for propane tanks and this post came up saying BHA is needed in white deer run rehab facility. And I responded with, I don't think I have the skill set or, or education level to do this job, but I think I'd love it. Um, and then I got response and then we back and forth a couple times. Long story short, February 8th, I started working here. Um, I've never worked in a rehab before. I've never done anything but be on that side of the table. Um, But I remember what that side of the table felt like. I remember how hard day three, day seven, day 10, day 20, I remember how hard they were. Um, And I said, I wanna come in there and I wanna do what I can to help. And I walked in here my first day and this young lady introduced me to the room and three seconds later, there was a fist fight right there. Three seconds into my first shift. And I'm like, all right, this is a different bag than I'm used to. Um, and so we separated them and had, you know, and then there was a broken hand and a trip to the hospital. It was all a lot. It was a lot for my first day. <laughs> and then somebody said, We do a motivational at 10 a.m. It was like 9:15 at the time. And I said, Okay, how do you do that? And you said, We usually play a video. And I went, Well, I'm a motivational speaker. Can I do it? And she went, <laughs> okay. It was that look of, okay, okay, big man, let's see what you got. And I came up here and I spoke and I had everybody's attention. And I, and I realized that I had literally journeyed myself all the way to exactly where the hell I was supposed to be. Um, you'll hear me say it often Ram Das says it be here now be right here right now. So right here, right now is exactly where I'm supposed to be and I will make the very best of it. I will make it exact. I don't make much money, but that's not important. I have a karmic backpack that is loaded when I leave here. And my good karma is way, way out of balance with my bad karma. I don't have hardly any bad karma left anymore. I have to do things on purpose just to generate some occasionally. Um, but what I learned in all of that is the simple action of caring about other people More than I care about myself first. Making the words I say true, helpful, informative, necessary, and kind every time I talk puts me on a plane that most of us aren't used to. I wasn't used to somebody like me when I was coming out of addiction. When I was in my early recovery, I met a guy that I call Silver Hair Dan. And Silver Hair Dan, if you ever hear one of these motivations, know that this is your doing, brother. But he spoke to me in a way, he said something to me one time. I was the the asshole in the room that said, are you in recovery? Because I wanted to challenge him. And he looked me dead in the face. He said, man, I forgot more about drugs than you'll ever know. And I was like, wow, man, that's a powerful statement. And I realized, I think he was telling me the truth. I think he was. Um, But what he taught me, you know him. What he taught me was, The most important thing is not where I was or where I'm going. It's only where I am right now. It's only how can I help you right in front of me right now? Because I can spend my days planning how to help somebody, but I may never run into that person. So I need to be prepared to help everybody every minute of every day. I'm not telling you to be like me. We all have hands, they all have fingers, but mine will not open your phone because we're different. We're similar. We suffer from the same disease. We all suffer from the same disease. I don't care what your chemical of preference was. I really don't. Um, it was just as damaging as the guy next to you is to him or to her. But I promise you right now, in this situation, you are still an addict, but you are not a suffering addict today. Even if it's a little bit tough, I promise you, you're not suffering like you were two days before you decided to come here. One day before you decided to come here. Shit, two days after you decided to come here. Some of us have been handed life on life's terms in this building, haven't we? Some of us have been handed things that we are not ready to deal with. But the community around you supported you when it happened. Not just the staff. So take this attitude that you have here of uplifting each other helping each other, being kind to each other. Take that, move forward with it in your life, and make sure that the next thing you do today is be kind. Um, and that takes us to my favorite part of the day. Everybody knows, and for those of you who don't, it sounds like this. Be grateful, be kind, be love where there is none, and I am crushing this shit. So for everything that happens to me today, no matter where it's gonna lead me, I'm not gonna care about that because I'm just gonna be grateful. And for every interaction I have with another life form on this planet, whether it's a tree, an insect, a cicada, or my neighbor, I will be kind. And when I walk into that room that smells like fuel oil and a meth pipe, I will be loved where there is none. Who's happy they're clean today? I am. Who's going to make it the next five minutes? I am. Who's going to shoot for six? I am. Big goals, people. I love it. Who's happy they got to sleep inside? I am. Yeah, me too. Me too. Who's going to enjoy the shit out of Memorial Day today? I am. Hell yeah. What are y'all doing? I'm sorry. I barely heard you. What are you doing? and let's remind dan why he loves to be here what are y'all doing i'm troy i'm an addict thanks for letting me share (laughs) i think we're gonna